Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. How many want to say amen to that? Amen. This is part of a larger uh, thing that's going on that weekend, and that's this coming up, uh, called The Return. And you can go online and you can get on some of the things and, and be a part of that. I know most of us can't jump on a plane, maybe get on a bus and go out there. Uh, my wife is saying, boy, I wish I could do that. That would be awesome to be able to be there. But we need to pray for our nation and pray for this event and keep that in front of us. I wanted to read just a quick quote from The Decision Magazine where Franklin Graham said this, that we are at the mercy of a generation that seems to have no respect for God's standards, no awareness of His redeeming love. So let's pray for that event uh, that's coming up and be, uh, be watching that and praying this weekend, especially this Saturday. And, uh, you know, I really think that what changed last time four years ago was that Franklin Graham stood on the Capitol steps of every capital, state capital in the United States and prayed. Kath and I had the chance to go down to be at this one here. And I think God, through an all-night prayer meeting, did some amazing things. And God can continue to do some amazing, amazing things. By the way, if you're not attending my class on Sunday morning, Bill, Bill's class as well, but we'd invite you to come. We're looking at the defining moment. Next week, the leftist threat and how that affects the, the threat upon the church. And so we'll be looking at that next week. How many are ready to get into God's Word? Okay, let's, let's go to uh, uh, the 14th chapter of Luke. We're going to be there in a minute, but we've been talking about meeting ourselves, and that's what this study on the parables is all about. It's about meeting ourselves, and we talked last week about the fact that there are mirrors and there are windows. These parables are mirrors to cause us to look at ourselves, to meet ourselves, to confront ourselves with these truths, but they're also windows that allow us to look out and to be able to see Life from God's perspective. Today we're going to be looking at talking at the table. How many of you talk at your table? Yes. You have table talk? We're going to see some different kind of table talk today. We're going to be looking at the Great Supper. That's a parable we're going to focus in on in Luke chapter 14. But how many of you, we're going to get there in a minute, but how many of you have ever seen this saying in somebody's home? Jesus Christ is the head of this home. He's the silent listener to every conversation. He's the unseen guest at every meal. Have you ever seen that statement made in a home? Well, how many of you would really want Jesus to be in your home and sitting at your table? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you say that. And we think that. But let's think about our table talk. Would he really be the unseen guest? Would he really be the silent listener? Or would he have some comments to make to us? Well, the ruler of the Pharisees, and we're going to look at this passage in a minute, they, he invited Jesus to eat bread with him and to have a meal with him in his own house. And Jesus' table talk was anything but idle conversation that day. He was not the silent listener. He was not the unseen guest. And Jesus is going to teach more than one parable, more than one lesson in this particular chapter. He's going to have several important lessons. Sympathy, humility, generosity, and opportunity. It's really going to be quite a mouthfeel full for that, that particular time. Let's go to Luke 14 and then we'll have a word of prayer. Luke chapter 14. As we go through this, if you have your Bibles, I want you to mark some key 
situations here that I want you to take note of because it will help with the flow. Because we're going to go all the way over to verse 24. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened. How many of you believe that? <laughs> Everything's by God's design. But it just happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Now you've got to understand that you had to be invited. You just didn't wander in off the street. To eat bread on that Sabbath. Now notice it was the Sabbath day. Notice that they watched him closely. There's going to be a setup situation here. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees. Did you underline that? That's the first group he's going to speak to, the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him, healed him, and let him go. Then he answered them. Now, this is the Pharisees and the lawyers. He answered, Which of you, having a son or a donkey or an ox, you know, different translations, that has fallen into a pit, will not go immediately and pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these saints. So he told a parable to those who were invited. Now, that's the next group. Put you on the line that. So the first, he addresses the Pharisee that invited him. Now he's, invited, he's talking to those who were invited. So Jesus had to be invited. See, you've got to understand that. So when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, Come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up here, higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here's the next person, underline this. Then he also said to him who invited him, See, so, so you see this transition that's going on here? He said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Now, here comes the next person. I underline this. So when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who comes and eats bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it and I ask to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Excuse me. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry. Would you underline that? Little word said to the servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and lanes and city and bring here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you have commanded, and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, we usually stop right there. But look at the next verse. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited will taste of my supper. Let's bow together. Father, we need to meet ourselves here. Need to meet ourselves in regards to sympathy and humility and generosity and opportunity. So, Lord, your spirit is within us if we've come to faith in Jesus. And he is our teacher. He's the one that makes application of your word to our lives. So, Lord, I would ask that you would, by your spirit, take your word, work it into our life. That we won't just have an information or a story, but we will have life change. That we might see ourselves in one of these groups, in one of these stories, and have you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we want to look at, the first lesson is a lesson in sympathy. A lesson in sympathy. Now we're going to, we see that in verses 1 to 6. I'm not going to reread these verses, but I believe that this man with dropsy was probably a setup. Because everyone had to be invited. You just didn't wander in off the street. And he stood immediately, isn't that suspicious? He stood immediately in front of Jesus seeking some kind of attention. And it says earlier in verse 1 that they had their eyes upon Jesus to see because it was a Sabbath. They're going to see what he's going to do here. So he was there, I believe, at the request of the rabbi and the lawyers that they could trap Jesus. So Jesus took immediate control of the situation. I love it. And he asks a question, and the question is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now, notice that this is addressed to the lawyer, to the Pharisees that were at the dinner. He specifically addresses this. Is it lawful, you lawyers, is it lawful, you Pharisees, to be able to heal on the Sabbath? Now, that could be a trap. That could be a trap for both the religious leaders as well as Jesus. Now, if Jesus did not heal the man, then they could accuse him of not being compassionate of not having sympathy. So Jesus is going to teach us about sympathy and compassion here. But if Jesus did heal the man, then he would be guilty of breaking their Sabbath laws. But note here, the religious leaders kept silent to the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Why? Because Jesus just trapped them. They could be shown to look like they have no compassion. They could be shown to break their Sabbath law. They couldn't answer the question. The tables had turned with a simple question. So Jesus took the man, he healed him, and then let him go. And Jesus defended his actions here with a little parable we see in verse 5. And there's several parables here. It's the one about if a son or an ox, depending on your translation, falls into a ditch, are you going to go out and rescue him? On the Sabbath day. Should you treat your animals different than you would treat this man here today on the Sabbath? See, if the Sabbath is a holy day, then it should be filled with holy deeds. When's our Sabbath? Huh? 
No, that's the Jewish. When's our Sabbath? Every day. I'm glad. See, somebody, I'm going to trick you to say, ah, it's Sunday. No, every day is a Sabbath day. We're to enter into our Sabbath rest. Every day is the day to show compassion. Not just on the Sabbath day. There are other six days of the week to show compassion and sympathy. So again, the religious leaders could not answer. For fear of not showing compassion, not showing sympathy, for fear of breaking their Sabbath law. Let's go look at the second lesson. We'll, we'll bring this all down here in just a minute. And that's, that's a lesson in humility. And you're going to see that in verses 7 through 11 here. Jesus was noticing here. He'd already addressed the Pharisees, kept them quiet, turned the tables on them. Now, now he's going to focus in on those who were chosen to come. And he noticed how they chose the best seats in the house as they were coming in. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there and he's just watching this? And they're all choosing, they're all fighting over the best seats and who's going to be seated at the best places at, at the supper. And even Christians today can be status seekers. We can be pyramid climbers. Even churches, we strive for status. Who's got the biggest church? Who's got the greatest pastor? Who's got the best music? Who's got the best outreach? Who's got the most campuses? Have you ever noticed the jackets of Christian books? And the beginning now, you know, it used to be you just went to the introduction. Now you've got pages of status endorsements. Because status sells books. And I think Jesus... Even though he never wrote a book, I think he knew the hearts of men. Now, I want to tell you a great insight. Where you sit doesn't change you. <laughs> where you sit doesn't change a person. It doesn't make a difference where you sit. Those of you who sit in the back, you're just as blessed as those who sit on the front row. Paul, I don't mean it here in the church. I meant at the, uh, at the dinner. Although I guess it could apply here, I suppose. This is what Albert Einstein said. Try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. That's a great statement. Try not to become a man of success, but become a man of value. Now, Paul said in prison, Nero, Nero sat on the very throne of Rome. And yet I think there's very little doubt who was the greater man. It's all about humility. See, we think we're in charge of the setting of the seats and where everybody's going to sit. But you see, we're not the host. God is the host. And he's going to set us in his body exactly where he wants to set us. And it's going to have to involve humility on our part. Verse 11 summarizes it all. Take a look at it here. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Simple question. Are you seeking to exalt yourself or to humble yourself? Our worth is not based upon our position. Our worth is not based upon our titles, not based upon how many uh, titles we have behind our name or, or, or how much learning and education we've had. I'll tell you what it's based upon, our character, our relationship with God. God looks for the humble things to exalt them. Let's go to the, the third lesson. It's a lesson in generosity. And this is found in verses 12 through 14 here. After teaching the proud guests a lesson about humility, now Jesus turns to the host. 
And he wants to teach him about generosity. And perhaps this is one of the greatest lessons for us in the church today. See, the, the host had only invited the important people, the wealthy people, the rich people. That's why I think the man of dropsy didn't belong there and why Jesus dismissed him after he was done healing him. Because the wealthy were invited and the influential and the important people. Why? Because they would return the favor and have him back to their house. None of these people were hungry. None of these people needed a meal. And the word here, never invite your friends, doesn't mean that you never invite your friends. But what the idea is that don't always just keep inviting your friends. That's the idea. In other words, don't keep inviting and entertaining those who can entertain you and invite you back. Invite those who do not have the wherewithal to invite you to their home or to invite you to their meal. Do you get the point? Now here's the question. Do you belong to a Christian clique? Oh, no, not me. See, there's nothing wrong with fellowship with Christians. But it could be sin if you do it exclusively. Can you imagine if Jesus only went to the houses and dealt with only those who were believers? They called him a glutton and a sinner because he went to a lot of parties. Now, I'm not saying you should go to the parties, but he went there. You know, it's extremely difficult to be a new visitor or a new member into the church and to break into the church's cliques and groups. If you don't think that's true, oh, I'm going to step on some toes. Step on mine first. Okay. Make sure we're covered here. Hey, when you go have a dinner and we sit in there, I can tell you exactly who you're going to sit with. Because you always sit with the same people. And there's a new person, a new family over here, and they're sitting over there all by themselves. Nah, not here. Yeah, here. It can happen, and we don't even, sometimes we don't even realize it. You know, I can, I can tell you exactly where you guys all sit on Sunday morning because you sit exactly in the same places. And you, and you don't, there's some new people you need to go move next to. Oh, but I don't know what to say. I don't know, I might be embarrassed. Let Jesus shine. See, see, see the point here is in generosity, and we don't think of it in that term, but that's how Jesus meant it. It's all about generosity to everyone, not just those who can repay us, or those who we think are the best, or those we want to be seen with. Those that will invite us back. Because our reward in serving others is from God and not from man. See? So up to this point, now we're going to really get into it now. Because up to this point, Jesus gave, gave three lessons. A lesson on sympathy, on humility, and generosity. 
But one of the guests, he tries to be really spiritual and he's sitting close to Jesus. All of a sudden, trying, maybe because he's convicted, uh, maybe because he wants to make some spiritual point, he shouts, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom. Let's change the subject here because this is getting too personal. Blessed is he who's going to eat in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to give the final lesson in response to that guy. And it's a parable of the Great Supper. Now, this is going to be a lesson in opportunity. A lesson in opportunity. We're going to see it here in verses 15 24. I'm going to pause here in some verses in just a minute. But what was, saying, what was Jesus saying to this man who shouted out? I, th- I think the first thing that was in Jesus' mind is, how do you know if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? How do you know if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? If you don't use the opportunities that you have available to you right now, the doors may be shut. Because he's going to talk about that later. It's not enough to make pious speeches and statements like this man made. You have to respond to Jesus' invitation. Now, as I looked at this, I said, this parable has got three phases or three scenes. So phase one, scene one, is what I call preparation. Preparation. Now look at it in verse 17. Now this is critical. It says, And he sent out his servants at the supper time to say, underline this, who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Notice that word, ready. Everything is ready. The supper has been bought. It has been prepared. It has been served. And Jesus is going to compare now salvation to this feast. Salvation is ready. The feast is ready. But salvation, like food, has to be received. It has to be received before Jesus can save you. The point is this, that God has prepared the supper. It's already ready. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to prepare it. You don't have to cook it. You don't have to serve it. All you do is come. How many of you used to remember that song you used to sing at camp, Come and Dine? Come and dine, the master called us, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table any time. He who fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. You who are thirsty or hungry, whatever it is, come and dine. How many of you sang that? None of you sang that. Woodbine, you had to sing it, because if you went to Woodbine, you sang that song. Now, now that's what he's saying here. You must come. It's ready, but you must come. And this supper, this salvation, it's been prepared out of great need for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It was prepared out of a great price, the very price of Jesus shed blood on the cross. It was out of great love for God so loved that he prepared and made a way. Now, isn't it interesting that during COVID-19, God's restaurant is open. It's still serving supper. No masks required. No restrictions required. It is absolutely ready. You're all invited. All you have to do to come to his supper, to come to salvation, is to come. To come. It's ready. Now I want you to notice the second phase here. I'm going to get back to that. The second phase, the second scene, is also found in verse 17. It's the invitation. So the preparation, it's ready. Now the invitation, come. God's prepared the supper. 
Now he sends his servants out. That's each one of us who go out with the Great Commission. And we invite people to come in. And his desire is that he fills this house. You know, God's desire is he fills this place. That's his desire. Now, religion tells people to go, to do, to pay, to do works. But Christianity tells people to simply come. I want you to hold your place here. I want you to go to the last book of the Bible. The last book, almost the very last words of the... If, if, if you were the writer of this Bible and you were going to write the last words that you wanted to write, almost the very last words, uh, let's go to the 22nd chapter of Revelation, verse 17. At the very end of all of this hundreds of years of history from the creation of the world all the way down to the time of tribulation, the time of, of Christ establishing his kingdom on the earth. And then this, we come down to these words in verse 17 of Revelation 22. And I want you to underline the word come because it's repeated three times. And the spirit said, and the bride said, come. Let him who hears come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. And it says in verse 20, I am coming quickly. See, see folks, this is, this is God's word to us. I don't have to tell you that. And this whole thing is written for one invitation. Come. 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 He says it three times. Now, you would have expected here that everyone would... Come. But everybody began to make excuses here in the 14th chapter of Luke. And the excuses were lame. Who would buy ox without first proving them? That's like buying a car without first test driving. How many of you go out and buy a car with never test driving? You wouldn't do that. What an excuse. Oh, you would. Okay. One of you would be foolish enough to do that. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, why couldn't the bride have come? Well, I'm married and my bride. Bring your bride. Well, I bought some land. I got to go out and see it. It can wait. Nothing is important in your life than this simple invitation. If you've not responded to it, come to Jesus. These people were rejecting the best for good. Not only do they make excuses, they put off their responses. Now that brings me to my last phase. And this is critical, folks, that we pay attention to this. There's a preparation. It's ready. It's an invitation. Come. Now, the third thing, the third phase, the third thing that we want to look at here is condemnation. We see that in verses 21 to 24. It says here that the host got Angry. I had you underline that. God is love. No, God is love, but he also gets angry. He gets angry because they did not respond to his invitation. It had cost him dearly. He had paid the price. He had made it already. He sends people out to the invitation, and they started making excuses. Israel had rejected the invitation. So God was going to go find others who would respond and who would come. See, if you do not, if you refuse God's invitations because you do not respect the one that's inviting you. So the host simply 
found others to take their place. The servants went to the outcast, to the poor, the lame, the broken, uh, the, the, the blind. They went out to the countryside, the highways and the byways and the hedgerows and everything, and they filled his house. Only God brings those that nobody else wants. Why? Because they see their need. Because they won't make excuses. They won't put off their responses. They're lonely, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they'll come. Look at verse 24. Notice this. The door was closed. How many of you remember the ark? A hundred years, Noah gave invitation after invitation. It's going to rain, it's going to come. Up to the very day, they didn't respond. And then that door was shut. And all opportunity was gone. And it says here, the door was closed. And none of those who were originally invited would ever be able to get in. It's too late. The door was closed. The opportunity had passed. Isaiah 55, 6. You can turn there if you will. I'm going to try to quote it for you. But if you want to turn there, there's two verbs there that are critical. Isaiah 55, 6. Isaiah warns us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while He is still near. You know what that says? There comes a day when you can't find him. There can come a day when he's not near. Because I I think God brings us to the point where he draws us. And if we do not choose, he, he might pass us by. That's that great hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. Once the door was shut, the opportunity was over. Seek while he can be found. Call upon him while he's still near. Because if you don't take this opportunity, so I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm probably talking to a choir, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to give you. You may never be able to find God again after today. You may never have him as near as he is to you right now. So I'm going to give an invitation in a minute for those that if you've never invited Christ into your life, if you've never done that, you're not sure you've done that. I'm going to give you that opportunity because that door could be closed. And I want to give you that opportunity to keep that door open one more time for you. And if you're here and you've already come and you've already accepted Jesus Christ, then let me tell you what this message is about for you. It's about sympathy. It's about generosity. It's about generosity, humility. It's about going and inviting. Quit going to your same friends and your same group. Go to those that need the message of Christ. And have them over. Invite them. Let's pray. Pass me not, oh gentle Savior. I'm going to, I don't know where everybody's at. I, I'm assuming that everybody I can look at on, out on has maybe come to faith in Christ. But I'm, I'm going to give this opportunity. See, the supper has been made ready. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross 
But you have to take it and you have to receive it, his gift of forgiveness. Is there anyone here who'd say, Pastor, pray for me? I've never responded to the invitation, and today I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior today. Would you raise your hand? Is that anyone? Anywhere? I want to receive Jesus. You may never have another opportunity like this one. Right now, call on him while he's still near. See, one day, if you haven't accepted Jesus and you stand before him, he says, remember when Pastor Ed gave the invitation? You had your opportunity to respond. Anyone? All right. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity you've had to speak to us here about sympathy, about humility, of not always seeking the best places, generosity of of reaching out to those who maybe can afford to have us back or invite us to their home. So, Lord, teach us these lessons. And, Father, help us to be part of those who are going to the highways and the byways and bringing them in just to, to the dinner that you've prepared, salvation. So, Lord, we acknowledge you. And as we conclude our worship today, Lord, I pray that you would just join our hearts together and that, Father, you'd continue to speak this message to our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.